Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and the small groups pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, a couple of months ago, we took a survey on our small group network Facebook page, and we asked, what topics do you want us to address in 2018? Um, and one of the top vote-getters was a topic of coaching, which we weren't surprised by at all, because if you ask any small group ministry point uh, leader for an area of ministry that's consistently challenging and is often a source of confusion and honestly frustration as well, it is in this area of coaching small group leaders. And I know so many leaders who've tried various models, I've done this, I tweaked it, and some have just even thrown up their hands and given up. Um, but we would all agree that small group leaders really need the support and the care that a coaching system can provide. Um, and the shepherding, of course, but it continues to be a really tough thing to, to work out well. So I've invited on the program Alan White, who is like the coach of the coaches, to help us think through this topic and help us avoid some coaching mistakes that are common um, and help us develop a more effective and sustainable coaching model and system for our various church contexts. So Alan, thank you so much for being on the program. Hey, thank you, Carolyn, for having me back. I know you're one of my favorites to have back because you just articulate all these things. You have all this experience from talking to people all over the country, and then you come back and you report on, hmm, we're all kind of in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't feel any pressure at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was the goal. Um, well, let me give you a little background about Alan so you don't feel even more pressure. Alan um, White coaches churches in launching exponential groups. And in over 25 years of ministry, he served on staff at two churches, um, New Life Christian Center in Turlock, California, and then Brookwood Church in Simpsonville, South Carolina, as well as coaching over 1,500, okay, no pressure there, but 1,500, that's, that's a lot. Um, I've already done that. Across North <laughs> America, and he's also the author of Exponential Groups, which is excellent, Unleashing Your church's potential, and he and his family live in Greenville. Um, and one of my favorite things at conferences, if Alan and I are in the same place, I love hanging out with him because he has a terrific sense of humor, mostly directed at yourself, but also just around. It, you always make me laugh. And so hopefully this will be a fun conversation, even though it's on a topic that's pretty weighty. Yeah, because I make if I make fun of other people like you, Carolyn, they tend to beat me up. So I make fun of myself. <laughs> so that's probably a good way to go for all of us. <laughs> all right. So on coaching, let's just dive in, um, and perhaps we can start off with the definition of coaching. So we're all on the same page. What is coaching, and what um, are other names? Maybe we call this in our context. You know, I think the best definition I've ever heard came from my friend Carl George, who said that the role of the coach is to refocus the player. Hmm. And so that idea that the leader gets bogged down in the, you know, the day to day of leading a group, which is everything from making sure your house is clean and the babysitters on time and following up with new members and all of that. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to lose sight of why we're doing this or, you know, we tell them it's easy to, oh, it's easy. Just invite your friends. Just open up your home. Groups are so easy to do. And then somebody shows up that has like some major life crisis. They're like, this is a little more than what you described for me. Well, sometimes it takes that coach to help 
to guide them through, to train them on how to handle that situation, maybe sometimes even to refer an individual to somewhere outside of the group. So I, I think that the, the coach is there for support, for training, for accountability, for a lot of different reasons. And you find that coaches predominantly are lay leaders or staff? Well, it depends on how much money you have. And uh, the churches that I was in, and probably most churches across the country, uh, we don't have a lot of money. So what we find are either uh, mature folks or people that have experienced leading groups that will take a couple under their wing, a couple of other leaders under their wing, and um, figure out a way to um, to coach them the best we can. There are a few systems where they hire people to coach. Um, I just don't think that's very transferable because most people don't have that kind of a budget. Right, right. That's true. And I do think having lay leaders in some regard is helpful because it gives them a chance uh, for certain small group leaders with those gifting to expand and grow in those areas and get discipled on a different level. Um, so it does open that up in a way that maybe if you're in a church that there's not a lot of uh, opportunities for that level of spiritual uh, mentorship would be a, a great way to serve. Yeah, definitely. And and what it, what I like about it is it gives people with, you know, some of the big L leadership gifts, mm-hmm. it gives them an opportunity to serve in a way that fits their capacity to lead. Yes. And even looking at the church I, I served at last, Brookwood here in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, you know, looking around the table at our monthly meeting of our, our leadership team. So these were leaders of leaders of leaders. So they had coaches, coaches had leaders, leaders had um, groups. But, you know, kind of doing the math in my head, uh, not only did I realize I could never hire people of this caliber to work on my staff, but on any given any given meeting with that group, I, I probably had well over a million and a half dollars in annual salaries represented in that room. Wow! So definitely, you know, people that had great leadership capacity that were doing that in the marketplace, and then they could lend their gifts to the church um, to invest in small group ministry. Yes. So that all sounds good, um, and we can agree that it's really necessary. But why is coaching, Alan, such a challenging area for small groups ministry? And what are some issues that just come up that makes it so difficult? Well, you know, it, first of all, it's it's hard work. It is hard work finding the right people, mm-hmm. investing in those people, and beginning to – this was equally hard for me – was learning to lead the ministry in a different way. Can Whereas that? everything didn't depend on me anymore. And so I had to begin to hand off um, not just responsibilities, but also authority to people that were volunteer, people that I trusted, people that I invested in. And it's like I begin to focus on a smaller group of people. Imagine that in small groups ministry. (laughs) But I focused on a smaller group. I focused on a team. And I didn't put my energy toward leaders or connecting people into groups or anything like that anymore. Um, you know, I, I personally have not recruited a small group leader since 2004. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was a matter of finding these people, investing in them, uh, meeting with them, sharing the ministry with them. And it's probably been among my best experience in ministry is having that team of people that were, you know, were leading the small group together with me and, uh, regarding them more so as equals than, 
you know, underlings that I was going to dele- delegate assignments right. to, and then they had to go meet their assignments and come back. That they weren't just my worker bees; um, they were my partners, and that was that was a tremendous thing. But it took a lot of me trying, having to give up some control. Yeah. And you know, my name is Alan. I'm a recovering control freak. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably a, the piece that's hard. Um, and some of the control freak piece, I totally get. But it's also because we want to make sure that our leaders are shepherded well. And so I think um, people have different styles of leadership. And so if you recruit a coach whose style of leadership is a little different than yours, it makes it tougher to kind of release that and value that and see God use that. So um, that's a really good word for us, control. I, I would join myself in that. Um, <laughs> I read an article on your blog recently about a national survey you did of small group pastors that's related to coaching. Um, and it was so interesting because the stats that you reported, I mean, they pretty much resonated with me. I could totally relate to it. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about what you found because I'm pretty sure our listeners could probably relate as well. Yeah, I don't have a survey right in front of me, but I know a lot of people struggled with um, what do they do? Or um, some of the other answers that ranked really high were um, identifying and recruiting the right people. How do you do that? Who do you look for? What do you look for? Uh, there was some concern about communication between coaches and small group leaders. And, you know, and I've I, I've been in situations where I had a really nice looking org chart and it all looked good on paper, but there wasn't really much happening. Yeah. And um, and so how do you make sure that that's that's taking place? Uh, how do people know what to do? You know, all of those sorts of things uh, that came out of the survey from I mean, churches of various sizes, you know, from across North America. Uh, but they were all kind of resonated with some of the same things as far as what's the role Who's the right person for the role? How do I recruit them? You know, all of those kinds of things. Which is similar to what we do, kind of the level down would be, though, with the small group leaders itself. It's it's all quite similar. One of the things that wasn't in your survey that um, I, I have found to be challenging is the chemistry between the coach and the leaders. Like, that's really important. That's the intangible that I didn't understand as I was getting into coaching, that you know, to some extent, it's a little bit of a matchmaker unless they planted those people themselves, which is works mm-hmm. fabulously better. Um, but if they hadn't, and I was bringing in a coach midstream, or even with new leaders, which is a better model, always doing with newer leaders, but I couldn't account for could would these people click? And if they mm-hmm. don't click, then it's so much harder. Um, because then they're discouraged because people don't want to meet with them and vice versa. But when there's a natural affinity or a click or chemistry or that intangible thing that uh, wants them to be together where God just kind of makes that happen, then it just doesn't even like work. There's so there's so much joy for both um, the leader and the coach and then makes your mm-hmm. work, my our job, so much easier. But yeah, how do you definitely. account for that chemistry thing? That well, you know, some of it, like what you're saying, is if a group started from members of a group, you know, going out and starting their own group, then the natural coach there would be the leader of the group that they came out of. Right. Because more than anything, coaching is built on a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a task. It's not an authority thing. It's not a hierarchy. It's got to have that relationship. And so um, if they, the other thing is if they already know each other. You know, maybe they weren't in a group together, but they just know each other from church or from being around town and running in some of the same circles. So, you know, I more so than even geography, I would go with um, 
where are those relationships currently lie? Now, I did make one mistake, and I just, repented just of this many, many <laughs> times. Well, the mistake in as far as pe- connecting coaches with leaders they had a relationship with is I allowed a man to coach his son-in-law. Oh, and that, that oh. was a big mistake. <laughs> you must and have been I, young back then. <laughs> I apologize profusely for that one, and I, un, I unlinked it as soon as I could. <laughs> But, you know, it's bad enough getting advice from your father-in-law. Now you're going to be coached by your father-in-law. And I'm really surprised that he didn't just, <clears throat> you know, quit and delete my phone number. But um, <laughs> So did you try the mother-in-law and the daughter as well? <laughs> just, oh, just I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I, I learned my lesson the hard way. But, you know, the other thing, too, that I've done over the years is um, try to set something up as a trial run. Mm. So instead of saying that, you know, the person that is – highly task-oriented, highly detailed, is going to be the coach of this very amiable, friendly, outgoing person who they're never going to get a report from. Let's face it, (laughs) it's not going to happen. But the coach is so desperate to get a report right. Well, I would give it a trial run. And say, okay, we're gonna coming up on this new series. I want you, I'm gonna partner you guys together. It's only for six weeks. Let's see how it goes. Mm-hmm, and if they benefited from it, then we can continue it on. If for some reason, you know, it just didn't work, rub somebody the wrong way, then we could say, well, let's go back and, and think this through again. Oh, that's great. But at idea. least it was only six weeks, and it's like, okay, it's the end of the commitment, and now we're gonna go a different direction with this. Um, whereas, you know, if you say this is gonna be the coach for you the rest of your life, um, <laughs> you know, if, if it if it really is a bad you know a bad fit. Um, you may you may lose the leader, the coach, or both of them to some other church. Yes. So it's good to try <laughs> do a trial dating before you actually end up absolutely <laughs> end up absolutely. engaged. <laughs> it's a great idea. All right, well, let's get to the top five coaching mistakes you've seen um, with small group point people. You want to run us down through those? And are these absolutely. in any particular order, or are these like? Just no, there's no particular order. Okay. And, and this isn't me. People may have another five. I had 10, but you limited me to five. So, <laughs> yeah. So if, if, if you're five or the other five, that's Carolyn's fault. Oh, nice. Um, so but you can anyway. go on so, Alan's blog and read them all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, I mean, we can start at the top if you want to, sure. Carolyn, however you want to go. All right, number one, no coaches. Okay, these are my my peers, and I've been here at seasons two. I just want to give up because it's so much work. It's so it hard. is a lot of work, but here's what happened to us. Back well, the first time we did small groups was back in 1994 at our church at New Life out in California, and uh, we weren't very big at the time. I think we were maybe 250 on the weekend, and so we recruited. 10 top-notch people from our congregation to lead groups. They all started in January of 94. Um, they all quit in December of 94. <laughs> okay, you got a year out of it. <laughs> yeah, a year. But they, I mean, you know, my my uh, my continuity was 0% <laughs> is exactly how that was. And, you know, and I'm not, I'm not afraid of these stories because it's real life. And some people are heartened by the fact that all my groups quit. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we went back and asked them, you know, we, very important questions. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to go to heaven? Why did you quit leading your group? You know? Because <laughs> there's no correlation but, between them. No, not at all. Um, no guilt there. But what they came back to us and said was, well, we kind of felt like a lone ranger mm. leading our group. Mm. Now, this seemed a little ridiculous because the pastor and I were available to them. I mean, we're a church of 250 people. In fact, right. we talked to them all the time. Oh, that's interesting. But we weren't, but we weren't having intentional conversations about what was going on in their small groups. 
and um, how they were doing as leading and where they needed to be encouraged and where they needed to have um, some training. And so what we discovered was that if without any kind of coaching, people tended to, you know, they would kind of burn out or they would lose right, focus right. or it would just become too too much. But here, here's the thing. Here's kind of the silver lining, if that's been the experience of anybody who's listening <laughs> to this, um, is that if you have group leaders that have not been coached very well or have not been coached at all, but they've figured it out good enough how to keep their yes. group going, you have a great pool of potential coaches that oh. you could invite to help new leaders. By experience, so, yeah. So there is there is a, a good piece in that is if you're if you're coaching for whatever reason has failed, um, you do have a benefit in that, that these people right. have figured it out and they have something that they could offer a new leader if it doesn't know as much as they do. Right. So we know that we do need some some intentionality about having people shepherd it. Um, number two is unclear expectation of coaches, and I've been guilty of this too. Yeah, so we get this idea because people listen to podcasts and they go, well, that Alan White guy said we should have coaches or Carl George said we should have coaches or Steve Gladen said we should have coaches. And but and so we we recruit these people to coach, but we're not really sure about what they should right. do. So I had this coach a number of years ago. We'll call her Carol because that was her name. And um, <laughs> let's, let's no protecting any people. So, so I had Carol, I had Dan, that was the other coach. And and so I thought we're going to start this off right because last time we had no coaches. This time I have two, then we're going to build with that. And we would do the monthly, we would do the huddles where we'd get all the leaders together. And the coaches were in the room and they were available and they were there to greet their leaders. And guess who did all the training and who led all the meetings? Alan White. That's well, That was the right. problem right there. And so um, I'd send them out. They would visit groups. And they would fill out a little report and bring it back to me. <clears throat> so Carol comes by my office one day and she says, I feel like I'm your spy. And she said it like <laughs> mysterious like that. I said, why do you feel like you're my spy, Carol? She said, well, I'm going to these groups. and I'm getting gathering this information and filling out these reports and turning in, turning them into you. She says, I feel like I'm your spy. <clears throat> I said, well, it's because you are my spy. Yeah. And and so then, you know, as we continued on and we're doing these monthly huddles and I'm leading the huddles and doing all the training and they're kind of around visiting groups and being my spies, Carol comes back to me another time and she says, you know, I enjoy working with the leaders, but I'm kind of bored. And I thought, how is she bored? Because I'm busy. How could she possibly be bored? And all of a sudden, it dawned on me the reason that Carol is bored is because I'm still doing everything, even though I have people and coaches. But, you know, the truth was, every time she came to my office, she complained, so I just fired her. <laughs> That's not true. It's not true. It's hard to fire a late leader, but okay. <laughs> it is very hard. No, I'm kidding. I didn't fire her. I changed it. And so I made it so that, you know, the coaches ran these meetings and, I didn't even show up. And, uh, you know, I just snuck off to my office during that meeting and did whatever pastors do in their office when they sneak off. Um, but, you know, in this, what, one thing I learned, I actually learned this from one of my coaches, is when it comes to expectations, you have to have three things. They have to be clear, they have to be reasonable, and they have to be accountable. So let's say, what would be a clear expectation of, of a coach? So you would say, I want you to call your leaders once a week, call your new leaders once a week, because they need that kind of encouragement. Right. So that's clear, but how many are they going to call? 50, 100? No, that's not that's not reasonable. So maybe if they're leading, they're, the coach is leading a group of their own, then maybe they're calling one to two, maybe three new leaders a week. 
So they're calling three new leaders once a week. So it's clear and it's reasonable. Mm -hmm. And then it's accountable because either me or a person on my leadership team is going to give them a call and they're going to say, so tell me what you're learning from the leaders that you're talking to. And the coach would maybe say, oh, I haven't had a chance to talk to him this week. You say, that's okay. Uh, why don't you uh, take the next couple of days, make your calls, and I'll call you back on Friday and and hear what you're – and the assumption is that they're doing it, not – you know, we don't want it to be heavy-handed. Right. Um, but so clear, reasonable, and accountable. Okay. And 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 to keep it fairly simple, I think it's okay to learn together. The group that I I worked with that I really loved working with out in California, um, I brought him in and I said, "Here's the deal, guys." I said, "I I don't have those figured out, but if you will take this journey with me to figure out leading this small group ministry and supporting these leaders." Um, then I would be glad to have you. But no, please understand that you know, super pastor doesn't have all the answers. Um, and I had to be vulnerable with them and admit that. But the truth is, it made our relationships better as a team. Right. I can see that. Um, a side note, so while we're on the topic of what's reasonable, what would you recommend as a span of care for a typical lay coach? Are you talking three? Should they be responsible for three or five or ten? What what have you seen to work? You know, I I actually go with a different kind of metric in that you think when a coach calls a leader, they're going to ask about those that leader's primary relationships. Mm-hmm. So here, here's my measure. They can ha- they can coach as many as they want as long as by memory they know the the leader's spouse's name. And the name of a leader's children. Okay. Because those are the leader's How about prime, the leader's and, dog? Well, I don't know about <laughs> dogs. But, it, you know, if it depends on, you know, it depends on how important that is. <laughs> and I've had, I've had people that have led, you know, they've coached three groups and they were brilliant. And I gave them a fourth and they were a disaster. Huh. But then I had one guy that coached 25 groups. And he was single at the time. He was there before and after so all three time. services on Sunday morning and connected with them. And, you know, he just had the capacity to do that. Not everybody does. So I think it really has to be. And I know Steve talks about um, Steve Gladen talks about knowing important dates in people's lives and, and those sorts of things. But, you know, not on an index card, not in a database, not in your contacts on your phone, but from memory. You know, because you're not always going to have those things. And if you see somebody in the store and you're asking about their wife, how is uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, what's her name? You know, that doesn't work. Oh, that's really personal and warming. That does well for our relationship. <laughs> that's a good word. So there's not necessarily a mechanical uh, number. And I, I like your point about um, the person who could handle 25 versus the person who could handle three. I think people have different capacities, different seasons of life. If they have young mm-hmm. children, they're not going to have as much time, um, depending on their workload, depending on commute. I mean, there's so many factors. And, and I, you know, I have four kids between four and sixteen, and sometimes I call them the wrong name. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so your capacity, you're saying, is one. You can handle one leader. Alan. It's like Sam, Timothy, Jesse. Oh, Julia, you're Julia. I forgot. And your wife's name would be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany. I, you I can go. lead one. I can lead one. I can lead myself barely. <laughs> All right, and then number three, um, he says lack of accountability, and this ties in a little bit what you were saying earlier. Clear, reasonable, and accountable. So, lack of accountability is towards uh, with you as the point leader, right? Yeah, and the thing is, we hate doing this. I know because you feel like the bad guy. You, you don't want to feel like the cop. 
That's the thing. But but here's the deal. If if we say it's important and we never check up on people, then it's not important. That's true. And and with us, we get distracted. Oh, I got to write the lesson for this week. Oh, I got to do a study. I got to visit somebody. I, I got to, you know, check my Facebook 12 times. And I've only <laughs> done it 13, you know, 10 times today. Um, you know, we get into all of this stuff. And why don't we pick up the phone? and Oh, we'll send them an email. Well, that's personal. Um, <laughs> we got to pick think, up the phone. I think it's the – it's – because we're afraid it's going to be a hard conversation. Maybe. But, but, you know, the reality is, and this isn't original with me, we have to inspect what we expect. Yes. Otherwise, it's it's not going to happen. But on the other hand, we can't make it legalistic. Because sometimes right. we get into accountability, and accountability sounds like accounting. But then First <laughs> Corinthians 13 tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. So, you know, we have to soften that a little bit. There was one church I was working with in Pennsylvania that their coaching became so rigid and so legalistic, they had to actually fire all their coaches and not do it wow. for at least a year because it just got really intense and creepy. And nobody wants that. So you don't so, want to feel like Big Brother taking a five-page review. Yeah. But then if you don't ask, then you don't know. Yes. And you can't, you know, you can't assume that things are happening because then you'll go, oh, well, I coach these five groups, but I haven't talked to them in, you know, a year and a half. And then you start calling them and you go, well, apparently I'm coaching, you know, two groups and one of them is <laughs> barely making it. Um, so, you know, some of that you just have to, but because if you don't contact them, here's what happens. As the small group pastor or director, you get frustrated because you're counting on these coaches to make this investment investment in the lives of these leaders, the coaches are starting to feel guilty because they're not making the calls. I know I should make the calls. And they want to start avoiding you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> and it's almost, I mean, not to make too much of this, but it's almost a spiritual thing of I don't want to pick up the phone and call the coaches. The coaches don't want to pick up the phone and call the leader. The leader doesn't want to pick up the phone. And it's yeah. like, if we could push past that, then maybe it's an opportunity to train. Maybe it's an opportunity to encourage. Maybe it's an opportunity to say, you know what? I think this is just a bad fit. I think you should stop coaching. And then you're going to be less frustrated and they're going to be relieved. Uh, but again, going back to the trial run and let's see if they have the stuff. Let's see if they're wired to you know, help other leaders that way. I really love and I want to highlight what you just said there about um, talking about modeling, really. So if mm-hmm. um, as pastors and directors, we get lazy or neglectful or avoidant about having the hard conversations on accountability with our coaches, then we shouldn't be surprised if they then have a hard time picking up the phone and doing that with their leaders. And then they shouldn't be surprised that the leaders are not doing that with their members. So there's definitely a cascading effect Mm-hmm. Um, and it start, really starts with us kind of making that spiritual move. And I totally think it is a spiritual thing because it is about shepherding. And if we believe mm-hmm. that this is important, then, yeah, why wouldn't we do it um, and, and stop checking Facebook, as, as you said? Um, well, and the, and the wolf is going to come after the one sheep that's kind of gone off and isolated itself. Yes. And that's really the job as the coach is to go to, you know, find that sheep, bring them back in, encourage them, help them, you know, whatever. If they're going through something personally, if they're going through something um, in their group. And I think, you know, 
we should delay everything else and make sure that we're making these connections that we need to make. Some people will say, well, why don't I just call the leaders directly myself instead of doing this phone you know, tag thing? And the reality is you could do that with maybe about 30 leaders. I tried for a while. I couldn't do it very well with 30 leaders. Um, but you're going to hit a limit. Yes. And th- then the only reassurance that you're going to have is convincing yourself that everything's okay and putting your head <laughs> in the sand because you're not finding out. So I, I don't think that's an easier way at all. No, and eventually, yeah, that will implode. Um, okay, so number four is coaching all the leaders the same way. Um, talk to us about that. Yeah, so if we, we try to you know, say, okay, we're going to do this coaching. So we're going to get all the leaders together. And some of them started last week and some of them have been, you know, leading a group for 30 years. I mean, there are those that are out mm-hmm. there. And so we don't want to lose the new ones. So we're going to, we're going to cater to the least common denominator yes. and that's going to be the beginner. Yes. And then the mature leaders are going to show up for training. They, first of all, you know, they had to, you know, make arrangements to be there. The training is too basic. Maybe they're doing it out of loyalty. Um, but the bottom line is also, it just feeds into the normal human, uh, thing that we, people hate meetings. I don't know if you, I, I, that was a big, that was a very liberating thing for me. I, you know, I was, I was in seminary. I was trained that my purpose in life was to have meetings (laughs) and train people. And then I would have these meetings and I'd be, it'd be, you know, there at the right time to start and nobody was there yet. And, you know, I'd I'd stand there in the room and and listen to the crickets and question the call of God in my life Um, (laughs) until I realized that people hate meetings. So dark. (laughs) And so then I decided I'd do two meetings a year. That's all I would do. Um, But I think that, you know, we have to consider, depending on the the leader's experience, it's two things. It's the frequency of how many contacts we make. Mm -hmm. So if they're a new leader, then you're going to keep tabs on them, you know, more often. Uh, If they're a mature leader, then, you know, we're we're not, we're going to check in with them once in a while, but we don't have to keep tabs on them weekly because that's a little heavy handed. The other thing is going to be the nature of the contacts, Mm-hmm. That when you're at the beginning of the thing, they're going to need more instruction. They're going to need more guidance. They're going to need more help. They probably need more direction. But then as they gain experience and stand on their own two feet as a leader, um, they're going to need support. They're probably going to need more more of us asking them questions yes. than giving them answers. Because the, the, the other problem we get into is we have all these big you know, ministry-wide meetings and what we discover is that we're answering questions that people aren't even asking. Right. And then the big key there is we just got to ask them what they need, you know, and right. go from there. Right. So it's kind of like raising kids. You know, I've got preschool, <laughs> elementary, middle school, and high school. Wow. So I always want to know where my little boy is because if he wanders off and I don't know where he is, and then, you know, my daughter's going to be in her room, my son, my 12-year-old's going to be on his video games, my oldest, you know, if if I don't know exactly where he is, I, he, you know, he's a teenager, is that a problem? I just maybe, oh, maybe you get lost, maybe he's not coming back, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I should have this conversation with Tiffany, <laughs> your wife. Maybe so, maybe the little counsel, I need a coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, to your point, I think coaching leaders differently, we, we started doing this in our with um, separating them out by how long they've been leading because that was targeted more towards what they the kind of questions they'd be asking the stage of development for their group um, and then also with our coaching system to 
actually have it um, set out so that you know exactly how many contacts you have for certain types of leaders. We kind of go through that to put some, systemize some of it. And at the same time, the like parenting, you know, you parent each kid differently because they're wired differently. We try to encourage that. Um, so the last one is so critical, and now we're, we're out of time, but we're going to keep going just to finish this up. Number five is um, neglecting your own leadership development is one of the top five coaching mistakes. Yeah, and so this one actually... Um, came as kind of a hard experience. I went through a time when I was working with another ministry where we were coaching some very large churches across the country. And what we found is as all of these churches began to have success in recruiting new leaders and forming new groups, that in about half the cases, the small group pastor was replaced somewhere along the line because they were adequate for the role when they didn't have a lot of groups. But then once the ministry began to grow, they became, it's a tough word, but they came in a way disqualified from the ministry that they were leading because they didn't have the leadership capacity to do that. Now, that, those are extreme cases because it was kind of like this outside force came in and you know was dictating all of these things and it kind of got out of their control. The reality is that most of us have the small group ministry that we're capable of leading. Hmm. Even though we blame the, the senior pastor if he doesn't talk about it more, <laughs> we blame this person and that person, we blame the weather. Um, but, huh. you know, the reality is, you know, because for me, when we went from 30% in groups to having 125% in groups, the biggest change that happened in our ministry was between my two ears. Hmm. It was a change in my thinking that, that had to take place. So um, you have to, so I don't want to go with the negative, but you have to develop yourself. You know, John Maxwell talks about the law of the lid. Yes. And so your leadership ability puts a lid on where your ministry is capable of going. And that's not a criticism. It's just that, you know, and I've studied Maxwell for a dozen or more years along with some other folks. And you can increase your leadership ability. And and by increasing your leadership ability, you're keeping ahead of where you need to go. In fact, I think it's an, a neat exercise to imagine what if your church – was twice as big as it is now? What if you had twice as many groups as you do now? What if you had four times as many? I used to, I was coaching a, a pastor up in Washington State, and they had 1,500 on the weekend, and we were preparing for what happens when this is a church of 6,000? What will that small group ministry look like? And what do you need to learn? And who do you need to develop? Um, because hopefully it's going to grow. And when it grows, you want to be prepared um, to have that kind of, of growth. Um, the other thing, too, and this was a big learning for me, was giving other people opportunities for leadership. Yes. And so, again, releasing some of that control, um, because even if you had double the number of groups that you have now, you shouldn't have more work than you currently have. Well, it's only, we only still have the same number of hours we have. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you have to involve more people. You have to develop. Instead of developing leaders, maybe you're developing coaches. Right. If you're at a church over 1,000, instead of developing coaches, you're investing in a leadership team that's going to supervise the coaches. And so it really is a matter of um, investing in others mm -hmm. 
working yourself out of the job of training and supporting leaders so that you can work yourself into the job of training and supporting coaches and then eventually training and supporting you know leaders of leaders of leaders. Um, and not everybody has the luxury of hiring staff. The church I served here in Greenville, um, 6,500 on the weekend. I had one full-time assistant, and that was all of my staff. Wow. Everyone else was volunteer. Now, my predecessor had a good deal of that already set up. Mm. But then I began to build on that. But I couldn't go down to the leader level. Not that I was aloof. I would talk to my leaders if they stopped me <laughs> to answer a question. Now, they asked, if they stopped me to ask me questions all the time, then I would say, what did your coach have to say about that? Yes. Well, I haven't talked to my coach. Well, why don't we, you, me, and your coach get together and let's talk about this. Right. And, um, you know, so that was kind of a training for everybody as, as far as that goes. But again, you know, we can't plan on, oh, we're going to have these budgets and, oh, we're going to have, sure. you know, these people that are going to come on and, you know, work for nothing and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we're probably not going to have that. Mm-hmm. But we're actually better off not having that because, like I said before, we can recruit volunteers who are better people. And sometimes we think, okay, well, how do I know who to recruit? We go after all the usual suspects, and we, you know, you don't want to steal people away from other people's ministry. But you know, here, here's a great little rule of thumb: pray and ask God for the leaders that you need, and then pay attention to who crosses your path. Right. And we shouldn't be surprised that God actually answers our prayers. And yet I've fussed and fumed and been up half the night for weeks on end. Who am I going to get to lead this thing? I need to have somebody in this position. And then I would stop and say, okay, God, I can't do this. I need your help. (laughs) And then then the next day somebody would call me and say, you know, God's really put it on my heart to maybe get more involved with small group ministry. That's like the best. And I, so, so you know what I started doing? Instead of all the fussing and fuming, I was like, I'm not going to stay up driving myself crazy for half the night. I'm going to pray. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I say, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm human. You're God. I need to, go, I need to sleep. You don't. So I'm going to leave <laughs> this in your hands. And when I wake up in the morning, I'll check in and see what, what you were able to accomplish overnight. You know? <laughs> You're holding God accountable. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I, I'm laughing because I've so been there as well. And I think um, it's a really good word. Coaching is so critical because it makes our ministry scalable. And if we want to see growth and more people impacted, more people in community, um, you really can't avoid some some version of coaching and investing in that next layer and then a beyond depending on the size so thank you so much for your words of wisdom and alan's a friend of the small group network and he's active on our facebook page so if you want to ask him questions or interact with him or push back or share a joke i don't know whatever you'd like to engage with alan you can do that on our facebook page he also has a website alanwhite.org and his book exponential group Groups. It's. I think there's a link on your website and um, your blog, but it's also exponentialgroupsbook.com, um, and that has two chapters on coaching. So it's much more detailed than what we were able to get into during our time. Um, Alan also has a consulting business or coaching business with a course, and you were just telling me that you're all full up now and you're taking a waiting list. So if people want to be on the waiting list, they can contact you via a website. Yeah, we have a, a course that we just closed a week or so ago called Coaching Exponential Groups. But 
touches on some of the things we talked about today and a bunch of other stuff that I didn't cover in the book. But yeah, just send me an email. We'll be opening it up again later this year. I'm not sure exactly when, but um, I'll let you know. Yes. So you can go on his website for that. And um, I'm on his distribution list. So I get, it seems almost weekly or every couple of weeks. Um, Alan's a terrific writer and he's got great, great practical content, which I appreciate. And so um, those just come through my my email and I get to go home. And a lot of them actually have been around coaching, which is what prompted the, the, me calling him up and saying, hey, can we talk about this? Because you keep writing about this. And I know that's such a core area for us. So thank you, Alan, so much. God bless you and your ministry. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to Group Talk. If you like what you hear, please leave us a positive rating on iTunes, which helps other ministry leaders find us. And if you want to give me any feedback, feel free to do that via our Facebook or Twitter or any of our small group network um, social media. So we will see you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.